Spoilers. Spoilers. Spoilers season with us. New cards. Welcome to episode 9 of Spoiler Season, where Katie and I review the latest and greatest of Kaladesh cards. Man, it was a long weekend free of spoilers. So glad to be back with you. And we'll just get right to it. So first up, we do have some beautiful lands from Kaladesh. Not much to say, they're just your typical lands, but the art is really nice. It's always so hard to come back from full arts. You know, know, like, I know we've had, like, a set between them, but every time we have full arts, and, like, on Zendikar, and they're so pretty, and I wish that, because, you know, like, Zendikar got them both times, and, like, I don't really love the Hedrons floating around, like, yeah. Kaladesh has beautiful lands. I would have yeah. loved for these to be full art lands. Like, the, uh, there's this beautiful island with these swirly pools and, and sand, and that would make an amazing full art island. Totally. I like, uh, so I like the forest that kind of looks like a gate. Oh yeah, that one's cool. Uh, by Christine. Uh, hard to see her letters. I, I can't see what her last name is here, but uh, Christine someone. I like Cho. Cho. Okay, I like those. I like the uh, swamp by, with the kind of aurora in the sky. Adam. By Adam Pout. Yeah, Adam Pout. I also like the swirly swamp. It's kind of over a field, <laughs> like a plainsy swamp. And oh, I like no, the, no, no, no. The, I like swamp, all the swamps. That one's in a gutter. That's totally underground in like a sewer. No, I like that one too. I like all of the swamps. The swamps are all great. The islands are cool. They're swirly. I like the plains. These are beautiful. If you haven't seen the art yet, definitely go look them up. So we'll start off with a very aggressive white aggro card that looks like it could be making dwarves possible, depending yeah. on what other support we get. Yeah. So this is Tool Shaper Paradigm, just white, Dwarf Artificer. At the beginning of your combat step, if you control an artifact, Tool Shaper Paradigm gains plus two plus one till end of turn. If you control at least three artifacts, uh, it also gains first strike until end of turn. Yes, this guy's like level up Metalcraft. Yes. I, I, I think that, yeah, this is really competitive. Um, the ability to produce an artifact early on is super easy. Like, make a servo, make a clue he's ready to roll make a vehicle right he's ready to go um and the you know we have to keep in mind that he's not a true three two right like he dies to everything including liliana pluses oh it's just combat just combat yeah so he dies to everything but and it's only your combat yeah so he really only belongs in an aggressive deck oh yes you only want this dude in a very aggressive deck that you want to be swinging very early on Mm. Okay, still very exciting, but yeah, the still combat a great card. clause is important. Um, <laughs> like, I mean, think of the curve of like this into the three-three vehicle into oh. uh, Depala, the red-white dwarf vehicle lord. Like, that's a pretty, really, really good curve. Yeah, yeah, I could see this being really nice. I'm excited to see what the. Yeah, I do think we still need more like. cards, more support. Like, we haven't seen a ton of the of really aggressive dwarves, but. I also expect that a lot of times those kinds of cards are filled out in the commons and uncommons. True. If we think back to Magic Origins, right, where a lot of the humans that ended up seeing play in the human aggro deck, white humans, were, you know, uncommons. Right. Because individually, the cards don't actually need to be that strong as long as you have a couple lords and they're all, like, fast. Yeah, you just need the shell, right? Right. Yeah, and actually, we haven't seen a whole bunch of dwarves at all, so I expect we'll see a lot more dwarves at the, the common... Yeah. And it might be one of those things where they uh, kind of 
give some support in the first set and then really flesh out the tribe in the second set. So maybe in Ether Revolt, we'll finish the Dwarf Tribal deck. Sure. But we'll so, see. We'll see. Maybe you should pick up your uh, Pilot Depalas now and and wait and see how it turns out in Ether Revolt. Maybe. I mean, I do think like if uh, Depala falls pretty low because there isn't enough support in Kaladesh, I would definitely pick up a couple copies. Next up, Electrostatic Pummeler. This is a three-cost artifact, 1-1. One, one. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, get three energy. You can spend three energy and give it plus X plus X till end of turn where X is its power. I don't like this. Yeah, I I can't believe this is a rare. Yeah. This this would be so disappointing to open in your draft pool yeah. or any pool. This is just... So I, it seems like, okay, I'm pumping this up. Maybe I want this in an aggro shell, right? So, so I can like go that red plus two plus one trample and then give it like double strike. But you can't because it's a three mana one one that doesn't have haste and does nothing when it comes down. Like you could treat this as three mana, uh, add three energy to your mana pool, make a one one. Yeah. But other outside of that, like I don't think it's a very functional. No, I I agree, and I don't think that three energy is that worthwhile. I think there are other better ways to get energy that have more flexibility attached. Yeah, like do something. Right. (laughs) On their own. Next up, we're going to do Consulate Surveillance. Uh, White 3 Enchantment. When Consulate Surveillance enters the battlefield, you get 4 energy counters. Pay 2 energy counters. Prevent all damage that would be dealt to you this turn by a source of your choice. So this is just like Circle of Protection energy. It's very expensive. Um, It doesn't do anything when it comes down except, you know, give you the 4 energy. But, like, that in and of itself, I, I feel like, is probably not sufficient. And the fact that it only prevents damage from one source, I, you know, I don't I don't like this very much. Yeah. I mean, this does have some flexibility, right? It could come down and that turn prevent damage from one or even two sources. Or more if you have other energy floating around from other sources. So... I don't think that's worth it, though. I don't want to pay four mana to prevent damage from two sources. Yeah. I mean... Usually preventing damage is not a super great effect because it's just delaying, right? It's not helping you win the game. It's not putting you in a better position. And you're down a card. Right, you're down a card, and then the next turn you're in the same position and you're going to die. So... Yeah. Like, the two things I can think of with this card are... One would be if there's some way where I can, like, consistently produce two energy every turn, then, like, this can just fog an Emrakul every turn... But why not just play a removal spell? So yeah. the other purpose I can think of it is um, this card semi-combos with Madcap Experiment, where I can cast Madcap Experiment, and if I have this on board, I'm able to prevent the damage that the experiment would deal to me. Okay. But this is a, that's an expensive combo that you want when you have a, a combo deck, you want your pieces to all be individually fine, at least. And like, you know, when Splinter Twin was a deck, like Deceiver Exarch is like a fine card like you can cast it flash it in tap down a land tap down a blocker tap down an attacker like it's very flexible this is like pay four mana make an enchantment i I, like it's just not very good it's not very good yeah that's fair um do you see it being more useful in i'm not even excited about it for limited no i don't like the limit either especially because in limited you often go wide like this could be like sideboard oh my opponent has a bomb my opponent has like Sovereign Skyship, right? Right, but it, it's Sky surprising Sovereign. that you don't have a better answer yeah, to that. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't think this is very good. Yeah. All right, the next card we are excited about, Glint Nest Crane. This is blue one for a 1-3 flying. 
When it enters the battlefield, look at the top four cards of your library. You may reveal an artifact card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. Yeah, this guy's uh, this birdie is sweet. <laughs> it reminds me of Augur of Bolas. It costs the same amount. It has the same stats. This one has flying. And this one also goes a card deeper. right? It goes uh, four cards deep instead of three. And it gets you an artifact instead of an instant or sorcery. In a deck that is heavy into artifacts, this is great. Um, this is a decent blocker. It can get in for some damage. It can block flyers if you need to. Chump for a turn or something. And it gives you a card. I, I really like this. And like, you also can... Um, and, and like every ETB gets better with Displacer. Um, but <laughs> like, I, I can't stop thinking about it. Like I just feel like Displacer with so many things is so good. Yeah. And being able to like semi-anticipate for an artifact every turn is really good. Yeah. Um, so but, I... Yeah, sorry. Uh, just to be clear, like it's it's very good without Displacer. Um, right. <laughs> I'm just kind of like wind mooring because I love Eldrazi Displacer. If of that course. hasn't been clear throughout the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I love this card. My one concern is I'm curious how many artifacts you're going to have in a deck. Like, we've seen a number of good artifacts. I'm not sure how many belong in the same deck. Yeah, so so that's my only concern is you're going to want to run a lot of artifacts, so you're likely to get hits off this. Yep. And I just I don't know what that's going to look like right now. I'm sure Frank Karsten will uh, run the numbers on this guy, <laughs> give us uh, some hypergeometric math and tell us how many you have to run for this to be good. But I feel like as long as you have a couple of gear hulks, you have a couple of vehicles, you have some artifacts that do things, like, you'll hit stuff. And, you know, you'll, yeah, you'll hit stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm so comparing to Coco, Collective Company, right? You dig six cards deep, and your constraint is you want a three-cost creature or less. Three or less cost creature. And you want to run 25 mm-hmm. three-cost three or less cost creature you think it's realistic to run like 25 no but you're that's not a good comparison because collected company you run 25 to get two hits off of you only mm. need one hit off of this card right okay so yeah like i don't actually know how many you would need uh my estimate is like 20 yeah um but yeah this the, I, I think this will still see some play if there's a like we've said a deck with enough artifacts right our next card is blossoming defense Green instant target creature you control gets plus two plus two and gains hexproof until end of turn. Nice. So I love the hexproof. Again, we're seeing hexproof for green, which is a very common green thing, but it, I feel like we haven't seen a ton of it recently. They've been trying to kind of power down hexproof. Hexproof's really powerful. And yeah. It doesn't lead to the kinds of games that Wizards wants to create, right? It leads to non interactive games where you have a hexproof beater and I can't do anything about it. That's why Dragonlord Ojutai was a good design, because Dragonlord Ojutai could be hexproof, but while it was hexproof, they, you know, you couldn't be attacking with it. You couldn't be winning the game with it. Um, and when it attacked, it lost its hexproof, so it was able to be killed, but also it's producing some card advantage, so it get, can find you with Solemngar Scorn to counter their removal spell, and then they're just dead on the second hit, like, realistically. Right. Yeah, so this also feels like that because again your creature isn't always hexproof but it's temporary and so it can give you a big advantage but it's not yeah and they can respond to this with a kill spell and still get around it so this kind of temporary hexproof i think is fine i think it's fun um it's 
uh, it creates interesting games where you are wondering basically like do you have it like i'm playing around this hexproof card uh it creates the kind of awkward who's gonna move first mm-hmm. right because if i'm playing this card maybe oh i'm two points away from killing my opponent maybe i just want to rush this out but if i rush this out and they go for the kill spell in response i just lose and on the other side of the table you're like oh man i just want to kill this creature uh but if they have that card then i'm dead so it, it creates interesting games um i could also see this slotting into an effect in modern mm-hmm. um this kind of a card is pretty good uh you know so they're running a couple of apostles blessings i think right now you know apostles blessing has a little bit of an advantage in that it can be cast off ink moth nexus whereas this cannot but I do like that this pumps, whereas Apostle's Blessing does not pump. And the ability, like, that's why Vines of Basswood is so good, because they can use it in either or both of its capacities, right? Uh, if they're playing against a player who is not playing well against Infect, and they try to kill a creature during combat, then this serves both roles. It protects the creature and then also pumps it. Or they can use this just to pump and get the last couple of poison, or they can use this to protect against a kill spell on the opponent's turn. Um, it's flexible, and that's what Infect likes. Yeah. Do you see this card seeing play in Standard? I think that this card is very okay in Standard. Like, I think in Infect, it's it's very good. I don't know if it's better than what they already have. Like, I don't play a ton of Infect. I've never played Infect, but I played against <laughs> it. Um, but I think in Standard, it's very mediocre. It's pump spell. Uh, it's hexproof. I think that this is very good if there is a aggro deck that has a kind of combo kill condition. Um, like we saw the Atarka Red decks with Teamer Battle Rage become immense. I think that this card would have been great in that, right? Because yes. the fear for the combo was, oh, if I go all in on the combo and they kill my creature, it's a three for one. And like, how do I recover from that? But now you get to go for the combo and then you also get to say, oh, I'm going to protect my guy with Hexproof. And now I'm all set. Uh, so I, I like this card in that kind of a deck. There's a red plus two plus one trample spell, and there's a uncaged fury, which is red two plus one plus one double strike. Mm-hmm. So you combine those, and you're giving them like, well, let's say it's a three power creature. So it goes up to four. I'm uh, sorry, it goes up to five off the plus two. Then it goes up to six, and then to twelve off the uh, double strike. And then this thing can get it up if they try to kill it to fourteen and protect it against the removal spell. So like. That kind of combo kill condition would be good. Realistically, I don't I don't know that that kind of shell exists for a deck like that, but it might. Yeah. Next up, eliminate the competition. Black four sorcery as an additional cost to cast. Sacrifice X creatures. Destroy X target creatures. In a situation where you have a board full of creatures and your opponent has a board full of creatures, um, you can stack a bunch of your creatures, leaving yourself with. The best of your creatures and leaving your opponent with the worst of their creatures because you do get to choose which target creatures die the problem is you are asked to sacrifice as a cost to casting this card so if your opponent has the counter spell you just lose your board <laughs> right this card is almost the same functionally as tragic arrogance mm-hmm. in that i think that uh they serve the same role I think this card is very bad. I mean, I think this card is worse than Tragic Arrogance in a vacuum because it requires you to sack as part of the cost. Yeah. But not in a vacuum. This card, uh, if you have Collected Company, right, a deck like Collected Company where, oh, in the mirrors, we both end up in board stalls, neither of us can break through, uh, then this card is just Tragic Arrogance. You know they don't have counter spells. Um, you get to sack 
you know, any creatures you want, and then you get to blow up their board and keep have them keep the worst ones. Uh, so this card is basically the same in that case. Uh, but outside of that individual, that like very specific role that Tragic Arrogance played in the Bant Company mirrors, this card is terrible. Yeah. Um, like Tragic Arrogance was defensible in other <laughs> matchups. This card, I just don't play it. It's really bad. Like you get totally blown out by counter spells if they have anything. Yeah. And like you're, you're, you are massacring your board. Like sure you get to keep something, but I don't know. I, I, I just don't like this card very much, except in the specific out of the sideboard Tragic Arrogance role. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's what it is. It's, it's Tragic Arrogance for black, or if you can't play white, white, um, pay white, white. The other downside when you compare it to Tragic Arrogance is it does only do creatures. So Tragic Arrogance could at least deal with if they had multiple planeswalkers or if they had a ton of clues, right? You were, oh no. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah, you, you get were to taking wipe their clues, clues away yeah. from them too. So, so Tragic Arrogance was better. I think this serves the same purpose and it's just But worse. this can also be better than, than Tragic Arrogance because if you have a board with, let's say you both have eight creatures, just sure. like making it up. You both have eight <laughs> creatures. Your opponent has two servos. You have two trampoly big dudes. You have two, like a, a green gear hulk and a big other thing that pumped, it pumped up. Then you get to keep two of your creatures and they get to keep two of theirs. Uh, but like now you close out the game much faster after you cast this card, right? Then you wouldn't tragic arrogance because you get to keep both of your threats and they still don't really have anything. So like it depends how many dead cards they have. Uh, like, this card, I don't think you can say this card is strictly better or worse than Tragic Arrogance. There's cases where it's better, there's cases where it's worse, uh, but it's definitely going to fill the same role, right. which might not even be a role that Standard needs. We'll have to see. Yeah, yeah. And I know even um, one of the pros was talking about how they, they played green-white tokens and they still didn't really... No, no, sorry, not tokens. Tokens ran Tragic Arrogance, didn't it? Tokens used to run Tragic Arrogance, and then uh, Jerry Thompson decided that you know, um, the boardway planner outburst was just better. There you have it. So next up, Lawless Broker. Black 2 for a 3-2. Aetherborn Rogue, our new race on Kaladesh. When Lawless Broker dies, put a 1-1 counter on target creature you control. Fine and limited. Yep. It's not a standard player. No, not uh, at all. It could see playing Legacy. Are you kidding? Yes, I am. Um, there's nothing. <laughs> there's nothing else to say about this card. Uh, it's it's fine and limited, and that's about the only place you'll see it. Yep. Next up, Prakata Club Security. You said that with a Spanish accent. I'm sorry. I took Spanish in high school. <laughs> like it's it is Indian. Okay, you pronounce it. No, I'm just gonna say Prakata Club Security. No, but that's so black like... three, three four, and that's it. It's a vanilla three four for four mana. Again, limited. It's fine. Other formats, not. Yep. Sums it up. I don't think, yeah, like, we, it doesn't need much explanation. Nope. Next up, Contraband Kingpin, black, blue. <laughs> black and blue. Sorry. For a 1-1 Aetherborn Rogue lifelink, whenever an artifact enters the battlefield under your control, scry one. So lifelink is the black ability, and the scry is the blue ability. Yeah, and it is it is a 1-4, which is, you know, decent, decent blocking potential. Um, this card is the first card in Magic's history to be a black-blue card. Only black-blue, not like Esper or Grixis, with lifelink. Wow. Yeah. Um, I like this card in a sideboard role. I think that if you're in like a blue-black control deck, we saw more by Merc Lurker 
uh, or Jorabe Mer I forget. It was a Merc Lurker, and it was like blue one for a one three, uh, and you could pay black one to give it lifelink till end of turn. It might have been unblockable as well, I don't remember. Hmm. But that saw play out of the sideboard of blue-black control decks. And I think this card is really similar, where against an aggro deck or a burn deck, uh, probably like, it needs to be creature-based, I think. Against an aggro deck, you get to play this, um, you get to block one of their attackers, gain a life, and then they need to spend a card to kill it. Yeah. Because they, they pro I mean, they pro they might have removal spells that can kill up for a toughness creature. Most likely they attack into this to get a toughness down, then they spend a burn spell to get rid of it. So it's doing a ton of work. It gets to gain the life from you not taking damage off an attack, gain the one life off of lifelink, and then gain both a life and a card off of their removal spell. This is the kind of card that is good out of the sideboard against those decks. Uh, there might be better options, and it might see zero play whatsoever. Like... Filigree Familiar is also just a really good card, um, but uh, in the right in the right meta and like in the absence of better cards that fill a similar role, and like this is two mana, so it comes down really early, right? Which is, which is really important. important, yeah, very especially important. against aggro. Totally, um, I think that this card uh, could see play for the the second ability. Do you think that's relevant? Not really. I I don't think you're going to be playing that many artifacts, but. I think it's sort of like a, oh, that's nice. I get, to, I get to scry this turn. Like, the kind of thing you might even forget about because it happens pretty infrequently. Uh, yeah, this it, it, the interaction with clues is cool, right? Clue, ETB, True. scry one, and then crack the clue to draw a card. That helps. If there is some kind of way to loop artifacts infinitely, <laughs> then you get to scry through library, right? Which we, got, we saw with the Catacomb Sifter... Eldrazi Displacer Brood Monitor combo. Mm. This is a similar piece that could do something like that, where if you have some way to produce an artifact and then sack and then produce another artifact and sack and create some kind of loop with that. Um, I wonder if those uh, modules, maybe, do those... I, I forget. No, those don't actually... One of the puzzle knots you can use mana to make. Yeah, so you, you I don't. Yeah, there, I don't know if one exists in standard or not, but if you can loop artifacts infinitely, you get to just... Um, search your library for any card and put it on top, which is nice. Yeah. You could uh, play Grixis, have Sahili, and this Kingpin, and um, get to scry every time you use Herminus. <laughs> y- yep, you could. <laughs> or you could play a good Grixis deck. Yeah, yeah. I- I'm just trying to give S- Sahili some love. Sure. <laughs> well, you know, they found an infinite combo with her in Modern, so... Oh, yeah. Let's let's tell the listeners about that. They might okay. not have heard. Uh, if you haven't heard, uh, you can play Liquid Metal Coating, which I think is a two-mana artifact. It taps, target permanent, becomes an artifact on end of turn. So basically, you turn Sahili into an artifact, and you minus two Sahili, you copy herself. Sack the original, minus two the new Sahili, copy yourself sack the previous one and you just do that forever and you get infinite etb triggers and like die triggers for an artifact so then you run it with uh that one mana artifact from concept arc here that mills your opponent one every time the uh permanent enters the battlefield or you run it with disciple the vault which one your opponent loses one life whenever an artifact dies so you know two ways to kill it is a three card combo um i i don't know if like you know how how competitive that is like Abzan Company gets to run the three-card combo for infinite life and infinite damage, but they have a lot more redundancy with Collected Company and Court of Calling, mm. so it's it's only kind of a three-card combo. And like, also, there's multiple pieces that can serve each role in the three-card combo, so the Sahili combo seems a little bit more fragile and less competitive. Yeah. 
But it does seem very appropriate that her combo is making her an artifact. Yes, that's nice. <laughs> Our last card before we get to the masterpieces today is the Red Gear Hulk. Finally! Com yeah, Combustible. <laughs> combustible. <laughs> that sounds funny. Combustible uh, Gear Hulk. It is Red Red 4 for a 6-6 six, six. first strike. When Combustible Gear Hulk enters the battlefield, target opponent may have you draw three cards. If the player doesn't, put the top three cards of your library into your graveyard, then Combustible Gear Hulk deals damage to that player equals the total converted mana cost of those cards. First impressions. First impression is this is really good. I mean, the stats are there. Six for six, six first strike is really, really solid. That's going to be hard to kill. You're going to want to use a removal because killing that in combat, it's going to hurt. The ability on it i also think is really powerful um, and i'll admit when i first read this draw cards sounds really blue so um i have been a little bit skeptical about how like pure red this is but it seems really good i think best case for your opponent when you play this they want to say that you can't draw and then you flip three lands into your graveyard and they take no pain that's their favorite thing to happen i don't think that's super likely to happen so I'm not really sure what they want to do. Like, do they want to give you cards or do they want to risk taking, you know, if you have six drops in your deck, which you probably do if you're running this, you could deal, you could deal a ton of damage. This could wreck them. Yeah, I don't really like it very much. I think uh, a 6-6 six, six with first strike, a 6-6 six, six doesn't need first strike. Uh, first strike is trinket text. It, haste would be better. Mm. Um it's like when they did uh, the Soul of Innistrad, which was a 6-6 death touch. It kills everything anyways. It doesn't need death yeah. touch, right? Same thing here. Like, it's going to kill everything anyways. It doesn't really need first strike. There'll be cases where it re it's relevant, like, but... I like mean, when it kills console flagship. Oh, except that that has flying. Yeah. So, like, I, I, yeah, I don't know where... The first strike, like, Elder Deep Fiend's only a 5-6. The other Titans, uh, or sorry, the other Gear Hulks <laughs> are... Uh, I think all weaker, right? They're like five sixes and five fours and five fives. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, they're all... The the biggest toughness guy is the blue one. He's a five six. Right. I guess green can become an eight eight. Right. So but green... But like, that's not how you want to use it. <laughs> probably not. So so yeah, this is probably the gig, biggest gear hulk. Yeah. Um. So evaluating this on just its stats, I think is... Like, it's good, don't get me wrong, but, like, it doesn't really need first strike. Six for six, six, meh, whatever. For the mechanic, this is what we usually call a punisher mechanic, where the opponent is given the choice. And you don't like it when your opponent gets to choose things, because your opponent will always make the choice that is really bad for you, right? So, or I should say, that is worse for you. Mm -hmm. um, the thing about these two options is that they're they're both really powerful, Right? I would probably, like, if, if you would play a six uh, mana, six, six, that ETBs draws three, great. If you play a six mana, six, six, that ETBs mills, great. But whereas uh, multiple modes or flexibility on commands makes a card better, in this case, even though both of those two things individually are very good, the fact that now your opponent gets to choose makes the, like, so-called flexibility on this card worse. This card, I think, is probably worse than either of the other cards I said, a card that just has one of those abilities. And as opposed to the other Gear Hulks, like you know exactly what you're getting out of them. If I cast the blue Gear Hulk, it's in a control deck, I'm getting a kill spell, I get to kill something. 
The black gear hulk, I get to kill something. The green gear hulk, I'm trying to curve out, make a giant sky spawner, for example, and kill them. Awesome. White gear hulk, I, you know, same idea. It's like tragic arrogance to our boards. This thing, I don't know what I'm getting. Yeah. And not only do I not know what I'm getting, even when the effect resolves, I don't know what I'm getting, right? The draw three cards, don't get me wrong, draw three cards, great. But, I, eh, like, you, you don't know what you're getting out of those three cards. And in the mill effect... Um, again, you don't know what you're going to mill. You can try to build the deck such that you're likely to mill big things. You can run this with Emrakul's and the Emerge Eldrazi's. So maybe you flip Emrakul, Deep Fiend, and you deal, what, 13 plus 8 to them? Uh, and then they're dead. Yeah, they're dead. But I think, you, I think you just have to be really careful building a deck to take advantage of this card. Because I think usually what's going to happen is if the opponent is at a healthy life total... They let you flip your cards and burn them. And uh, I think that that, you know, let's say on average they'll take six if you're, like, trying to curve or something and you don't build your deck to take advantage of this card. Um, maybe they take six damage, which is fine. That's good, but it's just six damage. It doesn't kill them. Um, and I think if they're low life, then they give you three cards, which is sweet. Um, but how necessary is it? If they're already at low life, do you, do you need... Sometimes you do, right? Sometimes you need to finish yeah. them off. But, you know... I, so I think this is probably the worst of the Gear Hulks. Worst of the Gear Hulks, though, is a good category to be in. Gear Hulks are, seem very strong. Um, but I think whereas the others are clear shoe-ins for standard playable decks, I think this one uh, is less so. I'm not going to say it will not see play. The Gear Hulks are all very big mythics with powerful abilities, but this one is, to me, the least impressive. Hmm. Yeah, um, it's always bad to give your opponent the choice because they will choose what's best for them. It's nice that both of these choices are still good, but you have a point. If you are in the late game, you draw this, you want more cards to try and finish them off, and they just take the damage. Then you I, just, yeah, you paid six mana for a 6-6. Six, six. Right, but maybe the, I don't know, maybe the damage is enough. I, three cards is a lot. I, I mean, I... Yeah, I think this is a card you really need to play with and yeah. test. And, like, in the abstract, you know, we can say, oh, Punisher Mechanic. Punisher Mechanics are bad. Therefore, this card is bad. I think it still merits testing. Um, but I think most likely it's going to be borne out that, yet again, Punisher Mechanic is bad because Punisher Mechanic. Okay, bad, but do you do you think not standard playable? Because I still think these are these are so powerful that even if you're getting the worst... It's still good. I think if you're in red, let's think of so standard decks are usually two or three colors, right? right? If I'm red X Y or just red X, mm -hmm. then I get to run Chandra in the Definitely. four mana spot, and Chandra is super busted. Yeah. Um, in the six drop spot, I can run this Gear Hulk, or I can run the Gear Hulk in my other color, and I think all the other Gear Hulks are better. So I don't know why I would play this Gear Hulk. If I'm mono red, sure, this is my six drop spot, but usually mono red, and you know, this isn't to say that we won't get one, but in the past, mono red decks have been more aggressive. Uh, even their like mid-rangey decks curve out at four or five, right? And maybe they run one or two of these if you're a mono red deck. But I think if you're in multiple colors, usually you just run the better gear hulks. Yeah, I, I don't know. Okay, so two things. One, in a mono red deck, if you're more aggressive and this is a curve topper, it's a terrible curve topper because if you're dealing damage, it's going to be all your tiny things that you're running. So, yeah. 
Yeah, so not good there. The dual color deck that I can imagine this in maybe is red green because red green is not going to have a lot of flyers. So throwing the counters around from the green gear Hulk, I mean, it's still huge, but maybe a couple extra damage or a couple extra cards is better. So, or at least as good. This card is like Sin Prodder times two and a half, <laughs> right? Sin Prodder. Oh, I guess it's time. I, I say two and a half because it's mana cost and its stats are about twice Sin Prodder, but its abilities are three times Sin Prodder, right? Yeah. And Sin Prodder sees zero play. Yeah. Because, and that's this was the same argument people had when Sin Prodder came out is they said, oh, but both of these options are good. And yeah, both of the options are good, but together they're worse because yeah. the other option is available and your opponent can just pick the one that's worse. All right. Well, at the very least, this but, will wreck in limited. Yeah. Sin Prodder wrecked in limited. Sin Prodder is great in limited. Absolutely. And I think the other thing to keep in mind is that there is no red deck in standard. Yet. I think we've seen a lot of good red cards. I think we will have. Yeah. I'm just Maybe saying that part of the red. reason Sin Prodder hasn't seen play oh, is because sure, it's sure. not just because it's like bad. I don't think Sin Prodder is necessarily super bad um but part of the reason doesn't see play is because it has no shell to be played in there's like what deck wants it it has no home right so maybe maybe you do run a deck where you get to go maybe you run red white with combustible gear hulk sin prodder and displacer so you can blink this over and over again uh yeah i i do think that like once you start blinking this it just gets really really good like you can only you know, you can make a worse choice for your opponent and make it once, fine. But if I blink this two or three times, like, you you are just dead. They, yeah. Like, you can't come back from a deluge of card advantage or a deluge of damage. Like, just blink it until you're dead. Yeah, pretty good. Okay, the last thing in our discussion today are the new Masterpiece says. Yeah, the Mast Kaladesh Masterpiece series. Uh, so... They're, it was, it's, they're doing a Masterpiece series for each set from here on out. Um, each block will have about 50 of these Masterpiece cards. They're not standard legal unless otherwise printed in the standard, standard set. Uh, the ones from Battle for Zendikar are in retroactively being called uh, you know, Battle Masterpiece Series uh, Zendikar Expeditions. These are the Masterpiece Series Kaladesh Inventions. Um, and these are uh, really sweet they're so pretty. They're, they're beautiful art. We So we have 30 right now. I guess we're expecting 24 in the next set of Kaladesh. Yeah. And so, so Wizards has a couple reasons for doing these. The first and our favorite is just to bring down the price of standard. Yeah, this is what we saw with the Expeditions as well, where the uh, expected value of a box of Battle for Zendikar was, you know has some value but when you put in the expeditions the expeditions all hold very high price tags which means that um they eat up some of the value of the box and when you eat up the value of the box into only a couple of cards the rest of the box uh or the singles in the box go down right because a a box can only hold so much value because you're paying a certain money for it if the box ends up holding more value than the amount you're paying you just buy boxes and you sell it off and you make money and then eventually the market stabilizes and the box's value goes back down because then supply increases, right? So um, we saw this not just with expeditions, right? We saw this with fetch lands, where mm. the value got concentrated in the fetch lands and cons of Tarkir, and then all of the other cards were pretty cheap. 
Um, similarly in Battle for Zendikar, uh, the expeditions helped to eat up the box value. Uh, Gideon still held value decently. Ulamog held value decently. Everything else pretty much, you know, was very low. Um, and that's that's something we're hoping for here too, um, is these cards, some of these are going to hold a very high price tag, right? Yeah. Mana Crypt, uh, which, yeah, it saw in reprint in Eternal Masters. It doesn't really matter. Um, what else is in here? Uh, like, yeah. How much are some of these normal cards at? I mean, a, a bunch of these cards are normally like 40 to $60. So putting them in this kind of a frame is great. Uh, of course, some of these are really not worth a lot. Uh, like, Hanger Backwalker. <laughs> right? It's an appropriate reprint. Like, Hanger Backwalker is actually from Kaladesh. But it, it doesn't matter. Right. In terms of value. Right. So so that's one reason. And I'm definitely excited about that reason. Because I love Standard. I basically play only Standard. So having the cost of that come down and be more accessible to other players, because I hate when other players are like, oh, I don't want to invest in standard because it rotates. And I'm like, yeah, but it's... Anton! <clears throat> <laughs> it's the best format. To me. To me. I really enjoy it. And... That was a shout out to our boy, Anton. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I want more people playing standard and not feeling as badly about the price of standard. Yeah. The second reason... Uh, for doing these masterpiece cards is um, to help increase card availability of older cards. This one... Questionable. Yeah, this is pretty questionable. Like, to be fair, like, yes, they are increasing availability of older cards. They are not doing so by any substantial amount. Like, this is not realistically going to be the thing that brings mana crypts down in value, right? Eternal Masters helped with that a little bit. Um these are ultra rare, super mythic-y, super foils that you'll never get, right? They're like one in 144 packs, roughly, uh, according to the article today. So these are not going to help a ton. But yeah, like if you open these, uh, maybe you get to trade into some other cards that you want, just someone who's a collector, and, and it's nice. And it, it's cool to be able to open something like a Mana Crypt or an Aether Vial, and it, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's cool to do, but like realistically, it's not gonna help a ton with supply of these older cards. Right. So Wizard's third reason was for bling, <laughs> to bling out your yeah. deck, which is, is, sounds a little silly, but it's a, an idea that I'm totally on board with. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, to a lot of players, I don't think it sounds silly. Um, to myself, like I'm very much focused on the game part of collectible card game. But to a lot of players, the collectible part of collectible card game is really important. And I totally respect that. That is a one avenue through which players can enjoy magic. I know players who are in modern or legacy who have played one deck for a really long time and decide to, to foil it out. Um, I know commander players who like to foil out their commander deck. And all of these things are great. Um, and the ability to do that with these really, really good looking cards. Like, they're, they're really pretty. They're beautiful. And uh, we... What was also said in the article is that they can't even really display the image properly because it is supposed to have kind of this metallic copper feel to it um, that doesn't show up really on a computer screen. So I think that's really nice. Uh, and there are like a good mix of cards, right? You have the Gear Hulks here, which are standard playable. You have Aether Vial. Uh, you have, what is it? Aether Vial, 
Uh, you have Mox Opal, and you have Steel Overseer, which also play in modern, like major modern decks. You see the Swords, which are very popular in Commander and see some modern play as well. Uh, and then you have some legacy cards uh, additionally, right? So it's a very nice spread of cards, and I think that a lot of different players will get to enjoy these. Yeah, I'm really excited. I hope that I open some. I think I think you mentioned, but you know, at a pre-release or at a draft, if you open one of these, like it's so exciting. Um, and even if you know the person next to you opens it or a friend, like it just brings up the excitement in opening a pack of magic. Yeah, right. It it helps to to. Just like what you said, it increases excitement, right, around opening packs. Uh, at Battle for Zendikar, um, pre-releases, people were like, oh, yeah, I really want to open an expedition. And when people did, everyone wanted to see the expedition. <laughs> and now we get that to some degree in every set. I think it becomes less exciting. Not by a lot, but, like, if it's an every set thing, it just naturally becomes less exciting. But I still think it's very exciting. Yeah, totally agree. The other weird thing to consider with these is... They are not standard playable unless they are also printed in standard. So obviously the Gear Hulks are standard. Yeah. But if you open them in a sealed pool or in a draft, they are playable. Yep. So you get to go, ooh, uh, Mana Crypt? Don't mind if I do. I'll play a three drop on turn one. Thank you. Uh, Soul Ring? Yes, I'll play a four drop on turn two. That sounds good to me. Uh, Static Orb? Yes, we'll play really unfun magic uh, <laughs> like we did in the olden days. So, um, yeah, it, it leads to cool games, right? Because in the game, you're like, oh, that's, a, that's an expedition thing. That's one of those masterpiece cards. I'm in trouble. Yeah, I, I'm actually worried about that part of it not being so cool. Like, if I'm watching the pros play and the person who wins the draft part is the guy who opens, you know, the old masterpiece that w is a legacy playable card, that kind of sucks. That's not skill. That's luck well well you got to be skilled to put it in your deck no you just you just have to be basic level of intelligence like oh hey maybe this is a good card maybe free two mana every turn is good yeah yeah i don't know um yeah on the on the flip side of that like it'll definitely so it'll definitely feel bad for the player who gets beat but on the flip side it's pretty cool for the player who gets it and for yeah. a lot of players watching the pro tour if one of these cards is opened right and maybe they'll take them out some they used to take out foils from the Pro Tour packs. They don't do that anymore. Huh. But maybe they would remove these. I think it's unlikely because I think that if you're um, a player who's watching the Pro Tour and you see this opened, it looks super cool. And then you're like, yeah. oh, I gotta buy these packs, right? And at the promotional tour, uh, that's what they like to see. Mm-hmm. Promotional tour. Yes. Um, <laughs> and yeah, the last element of this that we wanted to talk about was. Uh, the way they flavored it is is pretty cool. They use the flavor text to, and, and to some degree the art, to uh, not only give a Kaladeshi spin to all of these artifacts, but to actually frame them as items in the Inventor's Fair, which is kind of the central event happening on Kaladesh in which the storyline is taking place. And it's really neat. It's, I, I just I appreciate how well they thought this out and put this together. And I hope that we'll get similarly uh, rich framing of these cards on other worlds as well. Yeah. I know um, Marrow mentioned in one of the panels at PAX that he wanted the players to feel like inventors. And I certainly feel like with these, you feel like an inventor. Um, I'm just going to read the flavor text off one because they are pretty cool. So this is Chromatic Lantern. Flavor text reads, 
It exemplifies the motto of the Luminary League. Innovation requires insatiable curiosity and a good source of light. Yeah, so I I like these a lot. Uh, You like these a lot. I think that people who are complaining about these uh, are the same people who the saying that if wizards put $100 bills into packs, people would complain about how they were folded. I think that that is... (laughs) These are the set of people they're talking about. I think that there's no reason to complain about this. If you don't like these or you don't care about them, fine. They in no way impact you. You probably will not see any. Um, they're, you know, they. I just think they don't matter to you at all, right? They're rare enough to not matter to the players who don't care and to the players who do care. Uh, they add an exciting element to opening packs. Yeah, and if you don't like them and you open one, you know, just send it to me. There you go. Send it our way. Yeah, it's just spoiler season. Uh, at tumblr.com right (laughs) so that's it for us uh we are still on itunes still on google play on tumblr and twitter and all those things that spoiler season except twitter is spoiler underscore season so oh and soundcloud too um be sure to subscribe give us a download uh tell all your friends about us in our fantastic pre-release uh set analysis and yeah we'll be back tomorrow with more spoilers I'm Ryan. I'm Katie. And And this this is Spoiler Season. Season.